Hey Chattanooga, you're invited to Hope at the Miller. Join Pastors Kevin and Devin Wallace with Redemption to the Nation's Church on April 28th at 10 a.m. Bring your family as we worship together downtown at Miller Park. For details, visit rttn.church. Bless your name, Lord. Matthew 16. Look over at your neighbor and tell him, I love you. Not much you can do about it. How many know it's good to be a part of family? I hope everyone in this house understands that you're more than a member. You're more than a number. You're a part of the family of God. And it doesn't matter how well you don't fit in other places in society, the kingdom of God is a great place to find your place. And I want you to know that no matter how many people are sitting in this room today, and you may think church is not for you, you tried church, church hurt you, people in the church hurt you, can I tell you that a church might have hurt you, but the church of Jesus Christ is not a hurting people. We don't hurt people. The church of Jesus Christ should be a loving place. And so I feel like in, as I get into this word today, I felt in my heart like I needed to say to somebody, it's a new season. It's a new season. And some of you are going to find a new season in a new place. And you're trying to figure out, you know, am I courageous enough to do this again? Do I really want to jump into this? Somebody needs to hear me tell you, this time it's going to work. It's going to be different. You're not just, you're not just going to get hurt in church. You're going to grow in church. And I'm not saying that because we're the place. I'm saying that because God's trying to give you revelation that his kingdom is the place you are going to flourish and grow. And I want you to get that in your heart today. We love you. We're honored that you're here with us today. And I'm most honored that the King of Glory is in this house today. I'm thankful Jesus is here. Can you say praise God if you're thankful Jesus is here today? Matthew chapter 16. Go with me please to verse number 13. This is real familiar stuff. Uh, but I'm going to preach it not because it's familiar, but because it's right. And because we need to hear it. Sometimes when you approach a familiar text in the Bible, the tendency is to approach it with a sense of casualness that would almost make it difficult for you to receive the truth and the power of what is being said. But it is my prayer today that we can come to a familiar passage and receive fresh revelation. How many want the Spirit of God to speak to you today from this text? Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When you got to say word, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, listen to this, who do men say that I the son of man am? So they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. I need you to underline the word church because I'm getting ready to talk about this today. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, help me today to teach on the ecclesia. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on the house today, not just me. I don't, I don't want to just teach in a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'm asking you to grant them the ability to hear with a spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
Now I arrest every demon spirit that's come to hinder, harm, distract, and to take away from anything God you want to do and say today. And I thank you that in the city of Chattanooga, we've been granted the authority to preach the message of the kingdom of Christ. And I praise you that as we preach this message, that there's going to be a manifestation of the message and that the kingdom is going to be demonstrated in us and through us and to the glory of God. Now we thank you in this house because we're a thankful people and we praise you in advance for what you're going to do today and for the change that's coming in our lives, in our church, and in our city in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody that loves Jesus shout amen. Amen. Look at somebody on your way down and tell your neighbor, say neighbor, we are the ecclesia. Now, I put my pulpit on the floor today in an attempt to steer myself in a teaching fashion, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I'm going to endeavor to teach this today. This is not the first time you've heard me teach on the ecclesia. In fact, I've probably, this is my third time. We teach on it about once a year is what it averages to be because I believe it is one of the centerpiece messages regarding the assignment of this house is to teach about the truth of the kingdom of God. I tweeted out last night because it was just been in my spirit for three or four days as I've been preparing for this Sunday. I, I really am praying that the people of God get a revelation of the kingdom and the ecclesia and that we begin to understand that sometimes our idea of church is really not the idea that Jesus had about us at all. Our ideas about church are sometimes in direct conflict and contradiction with the idea Jesus had about us when he established his kingdom on earth. Now that's a loaded statement and I for one get really wore out with people who preach and try to make robust statements that attract attention. But if I am convinced of anything, it is that sometimes as I read the word of God and I see what Christ intended for the people of God to become and I look at the current state of where we are as the people of God, there is a great gulf and a great separation in what he declared and what we are demonstrating. Amen. And it is my conviction that one reason we don't demonstrate properly who he wanted us to be is because we, the men and women of God who preach the word, are not preaching the message that produces the manifestation of who we have been called to be. If all we preach on is, oh Lord, don't do this to me. If all we do is preach about how we got haters. If I hear one more sermon about you and your haters, I'm throwing up. Because the gospel is not about you glorifying people who don't like you. Everybody in this room got people that don't like them and we shouldn't burn up pulpit time trying to encourage weak, immature Christians that if they'll just keep praising and shouting long enough, God's going to bless them and make their haters watch it. I don't care where my haters are. I don't care who my haters are. I love my haters today. I didn't come to preach about haters and I didn't come to preach about getting a new house and a new car. God can bless you with whatever he wants to bless you with. What I came today to preach is the kingdom of Jesus because as as long as the church keeps getting this steady stream. See, I can't even talk about this without my blood pressure rising and my head feeling like it caught on fire. When we quit preaching this nonsense that is all about self-help and self and me, and we get back to preaching the stuff that causes the people in the house to want to ascend to God rather than always trying to bring him down here and make him like us. If we'll preach the revelation of the king them, it'll give a grace that causes people to become something that they could have never become in their own strength and their own flesh. So we've come today to talk about the kingdom. Now, what we understand is that many times we don't demonstrate in the earth the full potential of who we really are, and many times it's because we don't know who we really are. 
And when I say you don't know who you are and let me tell you who you are, I'm not meaning like I'm trying to coddle your flesh and tell you how wonderful you are because the truth is some of us are really screwed up people. I think it don't help on that right there. But the reality of it is it's not the good stuff in me that make me attractive. It's Christ in us. The hope of glory. If there's anything about my life that helps somebody else, it's only the Christ in me. If there's something about you that, that's helping someone else, it's not really you that's doing it. It's the Christ in you. The, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may not be of us but may be of him. That's why in Acts 13 when Paul was preaching at Lystra and he preached so passionately and under such an anointing that a lame man crippled from birth got faith while Paul was preaching and he stood up and began to run and the men of the city began to tear their clothes off and they called Paul a god because they thought Paul had the power to heal and Paul did what a true spiritual father does he rebuked the carnal crowd and he said I don't have the power to do this. This was not the power of a man. This was the power of God. Let me fix something in here real quick. I don't care how anointed and apostolic and prophetic and pastoral and evangelistic and teaching you are. If you don't know that on your best day, your righteousness is still as filthy rags. If you forget for one moment, you gotta pull your pants up, put your shoes on, and brush your teeth to get rid of the bad breath if you ever forget that it's not you that did it it's Christ in you you'll never maximize your potential in the earth it's always Jesus we don't know who we are sometimes sometimes it's because we forget it's Christ in us and most of the time I see and when I say the word ignorance I don't mean this in a in a critical way but we're, we're often ignorant. Amen. And it's a result of, and I take responsibility because I'm part of the, what some people would call the clergy, right? The fivefold. We're often ignorant in the pew because the pulpit has tried to address the, the issues of, of life by helping people and simply encouraging people with things that make them feel good when in reality that doesn't always produce change because some people don't need you to just encourage them some people need to be preached the truth in love so that they can see the insufficiency in their own heart and say what must I do to be saved there's no conviction in the church if we keep preaching this self-help nonsense that makes people clap, shout, and come back, but it doesn't change anybody because change comes when we get convicted and conviction comes when we get presented with truth and we look at the reality of our life compared to the truth of God's word and we don't quite add up and instead of this self-help stuff that brings God down to our level and makes him our homeboy that hangs out at the mall with us and he busts a sag with us and he's our friend and our bro. No, no, no. I need a God who has the power to reach down into my dead flesh and raise me up in the truth of the spirit and bring me into a place of spiritual transformation. We cannot keep, is this okay? We cannot keep shouting on top of uncrucified flesh and wonder why we have no power to cast out death and to heal the sick and to raise the dead. I'm trying to calm down here, but I'm just trying to encourage somebody that this gospel thing is radical. This gospel thing is powerful. It doesn't always make me feel good, but it leaves me better. And sometimes I need to be transformed and not just encouraged. And sometimes transformation is encouraging. Imagine that. We got to know who we are. In the, gospel, in the Old Testament, rather, the book of Exodus, the Bible says in the book of Exodus, the first chapter. So we close the book of Genesis, and we have Joseph in Egypt 
reigning as the viceroy, the vice president of all of Egypt. And he has great favor with the Pharaoh, and you know the story. Because of Joseph's favor with the Pharaoh, all the people of God enjoyed favor in Egypt. They went in a family, but they come out a nation. There was great favor on them in Egypt, right? Flip over to Exodus chapter 1. The Bible says this. There arose a Pharaoh over Egypt who knew not Joseph. In other words, there's new leadership in Egypt now, and this Pharaoh doesn't treat Israel, God's people, with the same kind of favor that the previous Pharaoh treated them with. And when he looks at the people of God, don't miss this, he looks at the people of God in Exodus 1, and he tells his, his, his viceroys and all of his leaders, we've got to do something with Israel. There are more of them than there are of us. They are mightier than we are. This is what the Pharaoh said about Israel. He looked at God's people and he said they are greater and they are mightier than we are. And before they find that out, we need to make them our slaves. Now what they didn't know is that, that while they were building brick making a kingdom for Pharaoh in Egypt while they were slaves filling the whip of the taskmaster beating into their back. They were mightier than the enemy that was enslaving them. And there are people sitting in this room today that I came to liberate. You don't know it yet, but you are mightier than you think you are. In fact, you, your enemy knows something about you that you don't know about yourself. And when you get this revelation in your spirit, you will recognize that not one family curse from your past has the power to reach up and grab you and take you backwards. When you recognize this revelation, nothing your mother or father ever said over you. They told you you couldn't. They told you you would never do it. People in your family treat said nothing good comes out of this family and you heard that mess all your life and you believe that lie but if you ever get what I'm getting ready to teach you today it'll help you to know that not one demon not one enemy not one power from darkness can stop what God is up to I feel like walking around here God is setting some people free you are mightier than you know Slap your neighbor, tell your neighbor, you. Holler at them, say, you are mightier than you know. Oh my God, how are you losing sleep? Why are you walking in fear? Why are you the one that's terrorized? It ought to be the devil who gets nervous every morning when your feet hit the floor and you put on a garment of praise. You ought to wake up and know that the day is the day the Lord has made and will rejoice. We don't know who we are. Sometimes we don't know who we are because we hadn't preached correctly who we are. But today I want to preach about, I told you last week about the king and the territory. We're talking about the kingdom of God and every kingdom has a king. And I don't have time to go back, but I wish I had time to go back and tell you that this kingdom we belong to has a king. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we have a king. Yes, his name is Jesus, son of the living God. Uh-huh. And what I want you most to know and remember about the king is that he was not voted king. He wasn't even appointed king. He became king through the lineage of the loins of a man named David. And God told David, on your house I will have a king who will rule the nations with a rod of iron forever. And how many know when God makes a promise, it doesn't matter how long it takes it to come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. If Jesus isn't king, God's got some explaining to do to King David. Because God told David, I'm going to raise up a king out of your loins. 
He's going to be the root out of Jesse. Come on, somebody. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. And not only does a kingdom have to have a king, but the kingdom has to have a territory. And when somebody asks me what is the territory of the kingdom of God, I had to flip back over to Psalm chapter 24, verse number 1, and the psalmist answered the question as to who and what the territory was. I heard the psalmist say, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he has established it upon the sea and he found it upon the flood. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul under vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord God strong and mighty. Somebody said, what is the territory of the kingdom of God? Chattanooga is the territory of the kingdom of God. Nashville is the territory of the kingdom of God. Dalton, Georgia is the territory of the kingdom of God. I just returned from the nation's capital and Washington, D.C. is the territory of the kingdom of God. New York City is the territory of the kingdom of God. Your neighborhood is the territory of the kingdom of God. Your middle school is the territory of the kingdom of God. Your high school is the territory of the kingdom of God. Somebody said, where does it end? It doesn't ever end. Everywhere the sole of your foot touches, God said that land belongs to you. That was last week. We have a king. We have a territory. But we must have citizens if we're going to have a kingdom. You can't have a kingdom without citizens of the kingdom. You can have a king and a land, but if you don't have no people, you miss the entire purpose of a kingdom. And in John, oh, pardon me, Matthew 16, in Matthew 16, we have a group of disciples who are trying to figure out, like many in the church, who they are. They're confused about their own identity. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we can ever find out who we are, he wants to know who we think he is. Because the revelation of identity you and I are on a conquest to find is only unlocked when we find him. You say, Pastor, how can you tell this? Because Jesus doesn't say first, Simon Peter, this is who you are. The first thing he did is say, Simon, who do you say I am. Peter, I know you're confused and you're up and down and in and out and you're riding on this roller coaster. But before I can fix you and your identity, I need you to tell me who you think I am. Because if you don't know who I am, Peter, I can never fix who you think you are. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. We got confused people sitting in the church trying to tell them, tell people who they are and they don't even know who Jesus is. And if you don't know who Jesus is, I don't have a revelation, a principle, or a concept that can change your corrupt nature. The only way you can become who he created you to be is to know who he is. Who do you? Have you ever asked somebody who they think Jesus is? It is amazing. Oh, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about on the street out at the mall. I'm talking about people sitting in church. Have you ever asked people on your row, who do you think Jesus is? 
You would be amazed at the people sitting in here today who cannot give you a biblical, accurate, truthful response as to who Jesus is. Well, he's a religious leader. Glory to God. He's, is he God? Well, he's a man. Yeah, but is he God? Well, he's a man. See, we haven't preached him big enough yet. We talk more about who we are without having declared who, we, who he is. And because we don't know who he is, we don't know who we are. My daddy's here somewhere. You look at me and compare me to my dad, we look a lot alike. Even my sons look like me. When I went on this quest for Ancestry.com, I mean, people think, my God, he's in a midlife crisis. Jesus, help the pastor. I'm not in a crisis. But I had stuff in my heart and life I wanted to know. Where's this stuff I'm wrestling coming from? And what is this passion I have for stuff? Where's it coming from? You think, Pastor, you really think? Yes, because if you don't know where you came from and who your daddy is. And we got people sitting in church, they don't know who their father is. And I'm not talking about earthly father. I'm talking about heavenly father. Jesus, help me. If you don't know Jesus in your heart by faith and personally, you can never become everything God called you to be. I don't care how many prophetic, can I stand up on this? I want to stand up here and holler, I'm kidding. I don't care how many prophetic words you have if you don't know who Jesus is and if you don't want to know him more and more, those words will be left hanging in the balance over your life because a revelation of who you are in Christ can never first come until you know who Christ is in you. And before God tells Peter who he is, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it is almost as if Jesus is shocked. And he steps back and says, "Uh uh-oh, something just happened. Peter just stepped into the revelation zone. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And now that you know who I am, Peter, let me tell you who you are. Thou art Peter. And the first thing he said is not that thou art Peter. The first thing he says, Simon Barjona. Now this is crazy because the name Simon Barjona, it literally means the son of Jonah. Bar means son, son of Jonah. And Jonah is an Old Testament word that means dove. Ah, don't miss this somebody. See what he told him was, you're the son of the dove. You're the son of the dove. Come on y'all, Holy Ghost. You're the son of revelation. The spirit of God is the one that is bringing you into this revelation of who I am. Enough with people trying to find a cerebral revelation of Jesus that doesn't take the Holy Spirit. I need to know more than a book Jesus. I'm thankful for the Jesus I read about but I'm even more thankful for the day that the man I was reading about jumped up off those white pages with black letters and by the Holy Ghost came to life on the inside. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Look at your neighbor, tell them, son of, son of the dove. You're the daughter of the dove. You're a son of the dove. You, you can't just keep walking through life trying to find God without the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who takes us to Jesus and gives us revelation. How many ever read the Bible? And then one day you started reading the Bible. And it's like, you know, I, I get tickled sometimes. People think because the they say, well, I'm not getting nothing out of it. Why, why, you read the Bible? No, I don't read the Bible. I don't get nothing out of it. So when you're in Spanish class 
And your teacher asks you, did you read the Bible? No, I don't read it. Or did you read your Spanish book? No, I don't read it. Why? Because I don't get nothing out of it. Well, what do you get for that? An F. An F don't mean fantastic. What are you saying? I'm saying sometimes it is the discipline that leads to devotion. Y'all missing what I'm telling you. Sometimes I make nice. I know y'all can't handle this. You think that every morning I wake up, angels carry me to my Bible, sit me down at my kitchen table, cook my coffee and warm my steamed cream and pour it on top. And I sit there with angelic hosts feeling the visitation of Jesus as I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, the devil is a liar. Sometimes I have to open up my Bible and my flesh says, check ESPN. See who won the game. Look over at your Facebook, see if you got any messages. And sometimes I have to say, Shekete, Antararabo Shata. I am going to read this book because this book right here opens up my blind eyes. It reads my mail. It speaks to me. There are some days I love reading it. There are other days I make myself reading it. But I never walked away from it regretting opening up this book. It is sweeter than the honey in the honeycomb. You got to know who you are. Oh, I got to get there. He says, Simon Barjona, you're a son of revelation. All right, Peter, a rock. Upon this rock of revelation, I'll build my church. I'll build my church. I'll build my church. I'll build my church. This is the citizenship. One word. Don't miss it. This is the citizenship of the kingdom of God. Amen. If you have a, if you have a marker or a pen... I want you to, don't hate on me, don't hate on me, but I'm going to fix something for you. I want you to put a line through church, and I want you to write the word ecclesia, E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. Oh, I got to fix a few things for a minute. I got to fix a few things for a minute. Because we, the people of God, have constructed and developed a definition that I'm not sure Jesus had in mind when he birthed and decided he would build the church. Because when we say church, here's what we have in mind. The choir walking down the aisle. The deacons opening with prayer. Come on. The elders eldering, the ushers ushering. I shall not be moved. I grew up and I thought what I went to every Sunday morning was the total expression and definition of church. But that is not what he had in mind. I'm not trying to tell you that our being together is not important. In fact, Hebrews tells us as much as you approach the day of the Lord, it is more and more important to get together. So being together and coming together is very important. But what we do when we come together and who we are when we leave the gathering because what we have made in the church what we've made church into is a convenient two-hour pit stop on Sunday. Y'all not going to help nobody right here, but I prepared for that. So this thing going to roll off me, and I'm coming through like a, like a missile this morning. We have created a concept of the church that fits into a two-hour block on Sunday morning. And if you're crazy on Wednesday night. Let me just take a pit stop right here and advertise. We do have church on Wednesday night. And no, 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 don't hate on me. Don't hate on me because I know some of us have jobs and all that. But let me help you. Alex Trebek and a third rerun of Jeopardy is no excuse to be sitting at home. I'm tired. Well, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you'll get to the house of God, you'll feel better on Thursday morning. That was free. I've been carrying that three months. We have developed the concept of church 
that fits on a two-hour block on Sunday morning, it is not at all what Jesus had in mind. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, that word church in the Greek is the Greek word ekklesia. Write it down, please. Ekklesia, E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. That was not a word Jesus invented. In fact, when Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 15, upon this rock I'll build my ecclesia, that word ecclesia at that point when he said it was 600 years old. He didn't invent the term. He actually reached into Roman operation and Athenian operation and he borrowed the word from the Romans to describe what he was going to do with his own kingdom. The ecclesia was the way that the people of Athens and Rome and ancient Greece, it's how they transformed a territory. They would literally, you know how powerful Rome was. Rome was the most powerful kingdom in its day. They would literally go into a city, ravage the city, overtake the city, destroy everything in the city, and then set up Roman life in the city. How did they do that? The first thing they did is when they defeated and conquered a city, they sent a Roman, you ready for this, apostle. The word apostle isn't original to Jesus. Rome had apostles. Rome would send an apostle to a conquered city for one purpose, to make that conquered city look like Rome who sent it. They would go in and conquer a city. They would send an apostle there for the express purpose of making the city look like Rome. Amen. And the way that they transformed the city, literally, is that they would appoint a, don't miss it, a caruzzo. The Greek calls it in Luke 9, the preacher. They went preaching. The preacher. In Roman days, the, the caruzzo, the preacher, was called the town crier. Why are you so loud, Wallace? Because I'm on an assignment. The apostle would come to set up the Roman way of living in the city. And in order to get the people to come hear what the apostle had to say, they sent out a town crier. And the town crier went out through the streets of the conquered city. And he said, we're getting ready to have a meeting. Come to the meeting. We want you to hear what's getting ready to go down. And the ecclesia was the group of people who heard the town crier and said, we got to get to the center of the city to hear what the apostle has to say. Don't miss this. When Jesus said, upon this rock of revelation, I will build my ecclesia, what he was saying was, I'm going to have my own apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I'm going to send them to cities that I have conquered by my cross and my blood. And it is going to be their responsibility to establish in that city the kind of kingdom from whence they were born. I am not here today preaching my kingdom because it's not my kingdom that caused me to have new life. I was dead. Jesus saved me. And now that I've tasted of the kingdom of God, my assignment on this earth is to go into a city he called me to and to preach, declare, and to give revelation until this city we call home looks like the city from whence we were born. 
Why do I cry out against racism? Because it doesn't exist in the kingdom from which I was born. Why do I cry out against abortion? Because it doesn't exist in the city from which we were born. When Paul was called an apostle, it wasn't because he was the best looking preacher in town. It's because he had a message to the Gentiles a message no one had ever preached to them before, and that is that the grace of God is now available. I want you to know, if you're even considering being a part of this church family, it's really important you understand this. We know our assignment. If you intend to take me to lunch and tell me what you think our assignment should be, you came too late. I've already heard the assignment from the Lord. I'm going to preach and proclaim it, declare it, and give revelation to it until I walk out on my back porch every Sunday, every morning of my life, and I see a city that looks like heaven on earth where people love one another and people, listen, come on somebody. I, I want you to understand that there is something that has to happen in this earth. Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. on earth as it is in heaven and so watch they would send this caruso it's what is in the greek caruso the caruso would run through the streets hollering get to the town square get to the center of the city god or rome has an instruction and we're going to hear this new instruction now you're writing it down take notes there are three things three principal things that the ecclesia was responsible for I hope I have time to get all this. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Say, we collectively are the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the group of people who heard the call to come hear what heaven has to say. And whenever the town crier would release the word that we're having a meeting, they would all come to the center of the city and they would do one of three things. And this is what the ecclesia is all about. Number one, they would establish governmental platform. <laughs> you ready for this? They were the Congress, they were the Senate. I'm getting ready to set everybody in here free right now. <laughs> I told you last week when, or week before when I was in Washington, someone asked me, who do I think I am? As if because I wasn't a politician, I shouldn't be there. I wanted to ask the politicians, who do you think you are? My God, you've had this 60 years and it's more screwed up now than it was 60 years ago. You might want to take a seat and let somebody full of the Holy Ghost try this for a while. I'm getting ready to say something radical. Christians have done more complaining about the issues that, that maladize our nation and less about changing it. And in reality, we have to stop talking like we are a minority and the people who are corrupt are a majority. And we've got to get back to understanding that there is power in unity. Heaven will not ignore our decree and our declaration. I don't know if Fitch is here today. Elder Fitch was in Georgia. He's sick. The devil is a liar. God touch Elder Fitch right now in the name of Jesus. Raise him up. I rebuke this sickness off of him in Jesus' name. He went to Georgia this past week. He said, Pastor, pray for me. He called Devin. He texted Devin and I. He said, pray for us. We're going to Georgia to pray with the state senators and the lieutenant governor. He called me the day before he left and said, this is wild, but the heartbeat bill is coming before the Congress of Georgia on the day that we're going to be there. He got there to the, to the, the steps of the door and the witches. This is the second time witches have showed up when we showed up to pray for life 
in America. He's, I, I got a picture of them. They look like something out of Little House on the Prairie. Had a long flowing gown and a little bonnet on and they had their little sign and they were speaking incantations and right in the middle of it all was Elder J.R. Fitch walking around declaring today that bill is going to pass and we're going to see life preserved in the state of Georgia. I will have you know I will have you know that that bill passed two to one. And hey! I'm tired of us walking around like we're the minority. My God, me and you and Jesus make a majority. If God be for us, who can be against us? If you bind it on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Help! Hold on. I, what I'm trying to get you to see is this. <laughs> Sorry. We have the power to decree and to declare and to establish a thing on earth as it is in heaven. Not me, I don't know if the Lord could ever use me. I'm just going to sit and watch Fox and CNN and get on my Facebook and tell everybody how mad I am at all the hell breaking loose. When's the last time you opened up your mouth and told the devil, get your grimy fingers off my generation? Where is the authority of the ecclesia? Oh my God, I want to tell you, you're not a minority trying to catch up. Your daddy owns the bus line. Get out of the back of the bus, walk to the front, and tell the devil we're moving toward the kingdom of God. And not one weapon you have can stop us. I wish I could find the church in here today. The governing platform. You ready for this? How many does it take to change a thing? Two. Oh, one can, one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. And according to Ecclesiastes, a three-fold cord is not easily broken. There are some people who say, all it takes is one. Most of those people don't get anything done. I'm not being critical to the people who said that because there is something about one standing and I get that and I'm not trying to make light of that but the reality is to get things done in the realm of the spirit you got to have two to agree. This is why so little gets done because we got churches that can't agree on the color of the carpet. They can't agree on the color of the carpet much less what we're going to bind and loose. Well, I was thinking we should put the organ on the right side of the stage. And, well, I was thinking we should put the organ on the... I've seen church splits over whether we paint the walls mauve or country blue from home interior. I just want to tell you today, there'll be no argument over our carpet or the color of our walls. It is what it is. We didn't come to have a decorating committee. We came to roll our sleeves up, tuck our pants in our boots, point our finger under the nose of the enemy and tell him in the name of Almighty God, you let go of our generation. We're not going to sit at home bitter that abortion is killing our babies. Babies, we're going to pray until something happens. Brother Wallace, you shouldn't keep talking about abortion. It's political. That's your problem. It's not my problem. Well, I always do this and regret it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I called one of my buddies last week, two weeks ago. I got back from Washington. He's a Democrat. He said to me, you keep alienating yourself by talking about abortion. From who, I said. He said, from the Democrats. I said, you know what? You're a preacher. You ought to go take your Democratic Party back from the people who are trying to kill the babies in America. 
I actually think we need a couple of parties. I actually think there's nothing wrong with that, but when your platform has become the blood of the innocent, something is wrong. Not against Democrats, and I'm not for Republicans. I'm for God and his kingdom, and I want my heart to line up with the court of heaven. Say amen. Say this kind of stuff, and I know people uh, take a trip, Wallace. You, you're gonna lose people. I can't help it. I'd rather teach the truth and offend somebody, what I believe to be the truth, and offend somebody than to sit in a house on Sunday and cover up what we all know is real. Listen to me. We've got to take it back. We can't let this crazy world and these corrupt politicians speak the narrative they want to speak. We are people of the kingdom of God. Declare the word. Let God be true and every man be a liar. I actually believe with all of my heart there's coming a revolution politically in America that will be caused by kingdom people. It will not fit into the right. It will not fit into the left. It will be right down the middle, walking right beside Jesus. It will be full of love and compassion. It will be multicultural. It will be multi-generational. There won't be us and them and a row for that kind and a row for that kind. I believe God's... I believe God is going to raise up spirit-filled politicians. I feel this on me right now. I feel a prophetic word coming out of my spirit. God's going to raise up spirit-filled politicians that are getting ready to shift the Nekandada Rukatamaya. Going to shift the, the narrative that is going on in the halls of Washington because that is not the governing party. The ecclesia is the governing party. We're going to change it. Do you know who, I only know this because I was in a conversation. One of the great, I felt like the great victories in the last few months is the whole issue of prison reform. How many kept up with that? Anybody watch that? I thought it was one of the greatest things we've done as a nation Amen. for a people to correct an injustice in many instances that was perpetrated in our nation. Right. Do you know where that started? It started with Sam Rodriguez, Amen. a spirit-filled preacher yeah. who was sitting at a table by Jared Kushner. Wow. All right. Jared looked at Sam Rodriguez and said, what's your platform? What's going on in your heart? And Sam Rodriguez said, well, if you don't want to know about me, I'm about equality, love, justice. I hate injustice. I hate abortion. I hate racism. And I want to see God do something in Washington that heals America. And he said, I believe we can start with prison reform. Jared Kushner wrote it down. Guess what happened a couple of months ago? We passed prison reform. Well, that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. And it started in the heart of a spirit-filled preacher. Why are, you why are you talking about politics? I'm not. I'm talking about kingdom things that the politics have sieged and they've, they, they've taken advantage of it and we've lost our voice and given it to people that don't even know God. What's wrong with us? Oh, it's 1240, Jesus. Tennessee's playing. When the, when the ecclesia got called out into the city, the first thing they'd done was they decided they were the governing platform. Amen. Second thing, I'm hurrying. This next two won't take as long, maybe. <laughs> the second thing they did is they decided military strategy. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Woo! It might take me a minute here. Because what the ecclesia did the ecclesia, they decided, yes, this is a worthy fight. We will bear arms and we will fight against those who come against us. 
And when we come to church on Sunday, it's more than singing our favorite song or preaching our favorite sermon. It's actually to get military instruction. What do we do next, pastor? What are we doing next? I don't know. Let's go hear God's voice. And then God gives you one command. Go to Miller Park. What? Yeah, go to Miller Park. Why? Because I want an angelic visitation. I just want an infestation of angels to get all in the city of Chattanooga. I just want to push some darkness back and I want to open up the heavens over a city. Just trust me, Wallace. One military instruction at a time. You say, I don't know about all of this war conversation. You better read your Bible. Ephesians said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand with your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having on the helmet of salvation, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith wherewith you can quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy. If you don't think we're in a battle, read Ephesians. We're in a war. And Paul said, we don't fight like those who are boxing against the air. We know who we wrestle against. 2 Corinthians 10.4 said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What I'm trying to tell you today is that there is a battle raging. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. And I just thought I'd tell you that we're not operating for victory. We're operating in victory. We have the victory in Christ. We don't hide out here on Sunday and then run out and act like we don't know who God is all week long. We advance the kingdom of Jesus. Because we recognize something. Our workspace is still his space. Well, I can't preach, they'll fire me. Oh, I didn't say preach. Augustine said preach, and if you have to, use words. Some of you would get people in your workplace born again if you just looked like you love somebody. They work by three hateful people. And then you come in. Talking about your pastor. Talking about your husband and your wife. Talking about all your problems. And then you throw in Jesus at the end of it. Who in the name of Mary wants anything to do with a God like that? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Salt loses its savor. What good is it to keep it's meant to throw out? You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. For this reason, men shall see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Number one, they determined to be the governmental platform of authority. Number two, they decided military strategy. Number three, and finally, and I'm closing, they decided as the ecclesia, listen to this, civil referendum. Here's what it literally means. When they got called out of their homes into the square, this is the square. It's actually a rectangle, but. When they got called out of their homes and they came to the meeting place of the ecclesia, first thing they did, they decided this is gonna be our government policy. Number two, they decided military strategy. Number three, they decided civil referendum. What does that mean? That literally means the ecclesia was responsible for improving the quality of life for its citizens. I lost 95% of all help right there. There ought to be a difference in Chattanooga because we're in business. Yes. If they close the doors on this place tomorrow, would Chattanooga fill it? 
would they even know we're gone? Amen. I want to operate in such kingdom demonstration that if we weren't here next week, our city would say, where did they go? Where'd the bag go? Where'd the bag go? The little bag. I don't want to do a bag. Those people need to go get a job anyway. You think that's funny? You don't know how many people said that. Oh, not out of your mouth. Because you're too holy to let somebody see that much carnality. I'm talking about in that hidden heart spot. That hateful, hidden heart spot where you've lost your love, your compassion, and your desire to bring change for the citizens of the place God planted you. I can't just treat this like a job. I'd do it for free if I had to. We did what many people thought was ministry suicide. We, I say we, not just me and Devin, but most all of y'all. Leave a flourishing rural area and go into a city. Mind you, most people were running out of this city trying to find churches in other places. And we just said, no, we're going right down in the center of the whole doggone thing. Can you play um, Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, whatever Season, season, don't do it without me. Don't do it. I want to just, as a matter of vision casting, say to this house today, we try to do a lot. There's so much more to do. We got a lot going on, but there's so much more we can get involved in. I told intercessors last night, and I've told them this last couple of weeks, I feel like the core of this church is growing. You know what the core is. The core is essentially what many people call the Pareto principle that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In a church, watch, you have the core, the committed, the congregation, the crowd, and the crust. Everybody in here is a part of that pie. But your involvement in kingdom advancement determines where in that pie you belong. And for some of us who are crust people, what is a crust person? You come, but we don't know you. We don't know what you do. We don't know anything really about you. You get here early or you get here late, you leave early. You just slip in and out and you just like to have a good church service. And I get that. But crust people 
don't demonstrate the kingdom. Amen. Then you come in a little closer and you get the crowd. The crowd, they'll use the furniture. They may make a few friends. But when it comes to advancing the kingdom and serving and loving God, you can't find the crowd. Crowds will follow Jesus. They just won't loose Lazarus from his grave clothes. And then you move in and you get the congregation. They love you. They're with you. Pay their tithes. They're serving God is relegated to what they do in that building on Sunday morning for two hours. And when they leave on Sunday afternoon, almost all week long, their identity is swallowed up in their church, but not in the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. Their identity is swallowed up in their church, but it's not in his kingdom. And then you get to the committed. committed work and serve and love people and they're going to volunteer and they're going to make bags for people and they're going to live for God when nobody's looking because they weren't living for God because somebody was watching them but then you come into the core and the core of the people who say this place would have to be burnt to the ground before I wouldn't be here and even if it burnt to the ground we'd stand on concrete and have church under an umbrella if it was raining the core pay their tithes when they go on vacation <laughs> Woo! I've been wanting to say this for a while get it out Wallace core don't just show up to get something Or are in it for the long haul. Amen. And I really believe in my heart the core of this house is growing. And it's my prayer that more and more people would understand we're not just coming to a two hour gathering on Sunday, but we're the ecclesia. That's what Jesus called us. He didn't call us the church as we know it. He called us the called out assembly. And when you come to church on Sunday, it's because you heard the crier. The town crier. I know there are people, and sometimes I wish I was the town whisperer. I wake up some Sundays, I say, today is a normal Sunday. You're not gonna holler or sweat. You're gonna stand there and pat. Pat, when your ADD kicks in, pat the table thing. You're not going to get excited. And then it just, I forget all about that. And I become the town crier. A town, there are many town criers. And you've heard the cry. So you come to the center of the city, the house of the Lord, to hear what the orders are from the kingdom from which we were sent. We only have one job to do. Carry out the mission for which Jesus died. This isn't my kingdom. It's his kingdom. Stand with me.